This episode is brought to you by Sheath. You can go to sheathunderwear.com and discover the most comfortable underwear ever created. Now, what makes sheath underwear different? Well, for men, on the inside of the underwear, there is a dual pouch. That means separate compartments for your manhood. Imagine a silky, smooth pouch on the inside that your boys slide right into that keeps you separate from your legs so there's no more sticking, no more chafing, no more need for readjustment. We all know that little move you have to make to kind of peel the bad boys off of the leg. Well, with sheath, that is a thing of the past. There are several fabrics to choose from, from modal to bamboo. My personal favorite is the bamboo. It's a newly launched product that everyone seems to really love. I highly recommend trying the bamboo sheath underwear if you have not ever given yourself the gift of true comfort. Wearing these underwear truly sets a new precedent for what underwear are and for most people, I think they end up switching entirely over to sheath because when you put on your old underwear after trying these, they just don't cut it anymore. You can try sheath risk-free. There is a 100% money-back guarantee on your first pair. So go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. I've been involved with Sheath since its conception. It was founded by my brother, Robert Patton, who is a US military vet, who during the course of his two tours to Iraq, developed this product out of need. Need is the mother of invention, as he likes to say. And he did a great job bringing this awesome product to the world. Again, that's sheathunderwear.com promo code TIMEWHEEL. This episode is also brought to you by Ohana Kava Bar. Go to ohanakavabar.com and check out their selection. Ohana means family and it is spelled O-H-A-N-A and Kava is spelled K-A-V-A. You can order directly from their website and they will mail you high quality kava. If you don't already know, kava is a plant medicine, an herbal supplement, a replacement for alcohol. It is an incredible experience. I have used kava for years now. I love it. It makes you chill, happy, vibey. It is a communal and ceremonial beverage to unwind with at the end of your day. If you haven't given kava a try, I highly recommend it. Again, go to ohanakavabar.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 10%. Their store offers classic kava, instant kava, kava tinctures, kava capsules, and more, all of which I have tried and all work incredibly well. ohanakavabar.com promo code TIMEWHEEL.
Accessing archive. Authorizing. Access granted. Accessing file. <laughs> How you doing, man? Are you starting with the triggering questions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I plead the fifth. Nowadays, when people ask me how I'm doing, I just plead the fifth, and I ask for simpler questions that I can answer definitively, like, what did you have for breakfast? Or <laughs> that sort of thing. No, I'm all right. I have a lot to be grateful for. Um, it's uh, obviously been a weird year as a... Uh, you know, the, the flaming tip of the sword of a lot of weird years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very surreal. I'm in South Florida right now, and I'm looking after my elderly father who has Alzheimer's. So mm-hmm. it is a very surreal deal. Uh, but like I said, I have a lot to be grateful for. So I'm mm-hmm. going to continue to operate from that vantage point. How about Absolutely. yourself? How Absolutely. are you? That's good. That's that's all we can do is try to be grateful for everything we do have. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm good, you know, busy, you know, I'm just trying to keep the time wheel ball rolling, you know, mm. my work with my brother's company, Sheath, um, and, you know, keep the podcast going as well and create music. You know, there's so many things to do. Um, but Absolutely. The busyness factor, I think, is kind of a saving grace. Like I have one of my songs... Uh, called Silent Sirens, and Mm -hmm. in it there's a a phrase, it's actually in the chorus, it says, with my craft as my raft, we brace the rowdy rapids and row, which is exactly that feeling, you know, of uh, you're being chased by your monsters, and Mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is keep yourself productively, creatively busy to at once keep them at bay, and at the same time, integrate them and store them away and encode them into various creative transmutations. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly what you just said, I feel is our purpose. Like, I feel that's the purpose of what we're here to do. You know, we're going to come into this existence with a certain level of baggage attached to us to our family and our culture and all these things. But like, it doesn't mean you have to create music, but cre- you create something. You create mm-hmm. life with the circumstances you're given. And really, the best thing you could do is put energy towards trying to make a beautiful life, trying to beautify your life starting where you're at. It's funny because people almost feel like, well, I, I wasn't dealt a good ha- uh, deck of or a good hand of cards, so how am I to play with these cards? And it's like, well you got to (laughs) yeah i mean one way to look at it is is a a deck that we've been dealt and to think of it as a kind of gambling endeavor which in some sense it is i mean the stakes are really high and i like to think of it as playing with everything at stake and nothing to lose and just put all your chips on life but another way to look at it is and i've been thinking about this recently that time equals life force Right? Like the passage of time is really the, the measure of life force moving through us. And we all have a finite amount. Uh, and if you, sometimes we want to dilate time and we want to forcibly dilate time and just get it more done than we can in a moment. So 
Mm-hmm. When, when the hourglass constipates, it's important not to try and force it or push it through because then you end up with what I call chronoroids, which are like <laughs> temporal hemorrhoids. Uh, so to, to take, take your time and to allow it to unfold as it comes, I think, is an important element of it. But also mm-hmm. to recognize, like you were just saying, that time and life force is something, it's a currency, it's a resource that we spend into the world. Mm-hmm. And that expenditure of life force, in a sense, is us dying, but that's also enlivening the world. The act of life is really just death's life stream, you know? Mm-hmm. So like live stream to death is what we get to experience. And when we think of it that way, that every creative act is an encoding of intention into the world, then the the prints that we leave on the world, that's kind of our shaping of the collective soul and the earning or creating or crafting or shaping right. of our own soul. So even if you take away all the uh, fantasies of an afterlife or all these yeah. perspectives that take us outside of the here and now, we can think of it as what we say, what we do, what we create. They're all opportunities to immortalize ourselves because ultimately the reverberations of our acts and words are what carries on into future generations like you said the baggage we've carried from our parents and from past generations the world we're living in is a kind of it's it's the you know the the last guest didn't clean up after themselves so (laughs) Mm -hmm. so we gotta we gotta sit in their filth and (sighs) and try to shape it into some uh, garbage sculptures that we can all enjoy and that remind us of our story and set the signposts to lead ourselves and future generations fluently through the flesh. That's it. That's it. And I think what you had said about leaving our, our imprint, you know, here on the earth, so many people I think could get that easily confused with um, you wanting your name known and you want all the glory. I think that every creative thing that you do leaves an imprint for other creatives to pick up and carry that torch and you know you could be could be like just a way that you started painting and then they start painting that way for all of this time and then or you know it's the type of music that you played and then everyone kind of picked that up and but they're not saying Mozart in their head every time they do a a, do a, a string of notes that maybe a Mozart made popular but like that's the thing is like it's not about needing to get all the credit and the glory and have it be attached to your name. As mm-hmm. long as you're creating in the world, even if like 10 people see it, it doesn't matter about how many people see it and how successful it is. If it means something deep to you, that helps you. But it also creates an imprint for future people, even if it's just the tiniest bit of influence they could pick up from that thing to then Mm -hmm. carry forward. You know what I mean? It's like we're adding to the Akashic records, so to speak, of creative database for future generations to draw from. Like it's not if your name doesn't get known, you did a bad job. You know what I mean? I think people need to get over that a little bit. Well, it's it's what you're describing in a sense is trailblazing. It's to blaze a trail where there was none before so that others can also Mm -hmm. follow that path. And maybe it's only five steps into the brush, but then the next person can come through and they can take their machete to it and ultimately we're sharpening the tools like what you're saying somebody like mozart took the instrument and 
found out where the limits were and then pushed those limits, pushed the envelope so that now other people can also follow in those um, footsteps. And maybe, you know, maybe the trail gets named after us. There's no shame in that either. And maybe the imprint we leave is a brand like uh, on a cattle, you know, like a cattle brand. Mm -hmm. But uh, at any rate, yeah, it's really just, I think it's important to create in whatever capacity we can, because through creating, we align ourselves with creation and with the creative force that is in, in, in all of life, the life force is we get Mm -hmm. to like the, like Pink Floyd said, play along with time. Mm -hmm. And speaking on bands like Pink Floyd, I kind of like to remember and keep the spirit alive of when you hear a piece of art, you don't immediately scramble to know what do they look like? Mm -hmm. What gender are they? You know, are they this ethnicity or, or or what part of the world are they from? Just enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Like we're, we're probably, it's, it's kind of like an ultimate destiny to probably find out who it is if you're going to actually become a fan. But um, I just think there's so much attached to persona these days. Everyone wants to be somebody. Now, on social media, it's easy to kind of make yourself look like somebody, right? It's right. kind of like look like you're doing all this awesome stuff. And, and maybe you are, and that's great. But it's, um, it's an interesting thing how much more effort goes into that than the work, right? <laughs> right. Well, I, I think of those things like the persona. The persona is kind of like um, it's the front man of the self, right? It's the mask. It's literally the word persona came from the Greek amphitheaters where it was a mask with a megaphone for a mouthpiece through which sound personas through sound we would transmit ourselves. And, you know, those things are they're just like the ego is kind of a representative of the self, but it's a it's a self imitating limitation that we set so mm-hmm. well and it also we only have a finite amount of energy right. to do what we're here to do and if we're going to put 30 percent of our day in making sure i look like a cool guy on the internet well that's 30 percent gone mm-hmm. that you didn't put towards something that would actually fulfill your soul man but imagine all the little dopamine hits you get from the iv of internal <laughs> validation with every like button clicked and it's an addiction Um, And it's a tough one to break, you know, like I always recommend the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. Shout out to CT for showing me that. And he really goes into these, these like long periods of not checking your phone. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm 100% on, on his uh, schedule, you know what I mean? Like what Mm -hmm. he would do, but it's something I try to learn from and instill. And when I do find, oh, I've been looking at this thing for like 10 straight minutes. Let me turn it upside down. So I'm not looking at it for a while, you know? at least that, but really an hour of deep work is like the goal of like, okay, check your phone real quick, two minutes, put it down for an hour. Don't pick it up every two minutes. Right. Well, that's a tough one. I struggle with it for sure. It's especially in this time where um, social interaction is so limited and we're we're isolated and it is the, even if it is the rhetoric of connection, there is still a, a, a deep, need that gets if not fulfilled at least um touched upon through mm-hmm. through that compulsive it really does you can curate it you know what i mean you can curate right. your instagram to be around people you actually care about connecting with and not see a whole bunch of bullshit if you yeah i, I feel very lucky right. in that because i my network are a lot of very inspiring and creative people there's also of course fodder 
amidst it. There's, you know, sure. um, there's signal and there's noise. But for the most part, you know, there's always there's always something to to gain from it. And it's also the imprint that shapes reality, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But for that reason also, it's good to, you know, I have kind of this ping pong back and forth between void and imagination, which is to say emptiness and form. So even to entertain the shaping of realities, it's always good to go with the ebb and the flow and to always return to that state of undefined, like unformed mind. Mm -hmm. Meditation. Yeah. It's just, yeah, sitting in pure awareness and Sometimes that can be a very boring thing, but when you have the, enough spiritual uh, inspiration by listening to the stories of these spiritual texts or, you know, people who seem to have, uh, be exuding uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual teachings, and you can kind of look to them as an example of a way to be or a way to kind of um, spend your time at least you know, like you can find absolutely everything inside meditation, like everything you're looking for on the outside through all the work and the money and the mm-hmm. notoriety and all the stuff, you can find it all inside. It's crazy. It's, it's such a funny conundrum. It's like yeah. you, you're running around looking for it and it's right under your nose. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, you gotta be you inspired. Said, you said, um, spiritual inspiration and then i immediately translated that as a respiration because that's really what it is and it's under your nose you breathe it in mm-hmm. through your nose you breathe it out through your nose and you just mm-hmm. sit with it and you you let things roll in and roll out on those tides and it's really it's it's coming back into that exchange rate of eternity and mm-hmm. and our pinpoint in time mm-hmm. that that does the real deep cleanse and the deep eternal return to yeah. the center I love the breath, you know, and, you know, have you seen like, uh, I think it's pronounced Thanka paintings? Oh, yeah. You know, like sometimes you'll see this kind of like air, like almost like it's a mystical air wave or cloud mm-hmm. like coming out of their nose. And Always with the little flaming spiral shapes, yes. which are which are like the fractal um, yep. shapes of Tao exactly. that, that, that manifest themselves through the elements. Right. If only we, you know, understood like what's going on uh, just with our normal, just even just slight breathing through the nose, like the amount of elemental, you know, interaction going on between mm-hmm. our body and the atmosphere and everything going on, you would be stunned at how profound it is. But it's something that we totally just take for granted, you know. I, that's why I love people who teach the breath. It's so mm-hmm. easy, like Wim Hof, you know, like oh, yeah, or he, you he know certain very yogis. Popular. He's from my country. Yeah, beautiful guy. Representing and... Netherlands, representing. <laughs> uh, yep, there you go. Um, the, the Tanka paintings. Uh, you know what I found funny about those? Because a friend yep. of mine, he had uh, a book of them, and he was really into God. What was his deity's name? Uh, I forget the name of it, but it was this. Uh, Yamantaka, he'd always be like, I, I have a Tibetan Buddhist practice and I worship Yamantaka. And Yamantaka is this wrathful deity that mm-hmm, kind of like him. a Kali-like figure. I think it has like a pig-like face. And he yeah. was showing me, you know, the pictures of these Tanka paintings. And they always reminded me of these South Park cutout <laughs> figures, but like really psychedelic South Park figures. Totally. And then I thought of the the stained glass because I was living in a, an old convent turned artist collective in San Francisco at the time. And we mm-hmm. have this 
heart of the home was this chapel space with these stained glass windows. And when I look at the stained glass saints, I thought the same thing. Like these look like back in those days that they made Tonka paintings and stained glass figurines that these were intended to be animated, but they just didn't have the technology at the time. So they were just still images set in motion through devotion and through actual light shining through the stained glass. But imagine that. Imagine if the Tonka art became like a kind of psychedelic South Park and like uh, Mm -hmm. stained glass cathedrals would be set in motion and you get this like real light shining through these transmogrifying glass images, which I think with augmented reality, this could easily become a reality. If anybody's listening that's Mm -hmm. uh, into that kind of thing, let's brainstorm. 100%. 100%. You could always just do psychedelics in a church and maybe <laughs> <It's true. laughs> get, it's get true. a little taste of that. Again, but... you're going right back to the uh, the inner resources there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always thinking of like, how can we bring those, how can we emulate those inner resources and project them outwards so that we can right. show it to anybody, you know what I well, mean? That would but... be the evolution of art, you know? Right? I love that. Yeah, I absolutely. love that. You're thinking of the evolution of where art can go. And I'm certain some people are out there working on it. You know what I mean? Um, I was just talking with my friend about um, VR yesterday about how um, we were on set and a guy had an 8K camera. I was already impressed by a 4K camera. This guy's shooting 8K. So I'm like, okay. Uh, that's crazy. And then after after the the shoot, we were back home talking, and I was like, "So if 8K cameras are already on the market, how long is it going to be before video games? Literally, this is the Elon Musk kind of, you like, know, theory that, that exceed the resolution of reality. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and then when that's gonna happen, I feel like it's going to for sure happen. Um, and when it does, you can literally transport yourself to an emulation of any place in the world. Like you'd be sitting in your bedroom and be like, I want to see the sunset in Africa. And then boosh, you're literally right. in a simulation of what is exactly happening in a sunset in Africa. And it literally looks like you're there. Like, mm-hmm. that is insane. But what's real crazy is, you know, it will never replace the actual place. Or will it? Or has it already? I don't know. Because the thing is, I, reality is still rendering. Like we are wow. actually at the, this is the, the newest now we've ever experienced. Everything has led up to this very moment. Wow. And that Good even to applies to you. whoever's listening to it right now. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> exactly. a really special thing that we've chosen to spend this pinnacle of the now conversing with each other about exactly. the pinnacle of the now. Exactly. To the now. And, Mr. And it's, now. And it's constantly catching up and, and, and the funny thing is we have these blind spots in the mind. For instance, our nose is actually in view, but we just edit that out because otherwise <laughs> we're living in this nosy world. Like We can't even see our own face, and it's been swapped out by this face-filled vision of the world around us. Right. But the biggest blind spot is that sense that we're living in a creation that was finished, let's say, like after a six-day manic creation spree and then maybe there was a one-day crash period where the lord had to take a moment's rest and then fell asleep and then we're living in that half-finished dream where he's talking in where it is talking in its sleep and we're transcribing the mumblings these somniferous mumblings of the lord and continuing the ongoing creation because we've we've inherited an unfinished work or so we think 
So I just, you know, what you just said there kind of gave me a funny vision of simulation theory, which if we imagine it as, you know, uh, a coder creating a world with artificial or, you know, in this case, authentic beings Mm -hmm. in it, hundreds and hundreds of years ago before computers and video games and those experiences ever existed, how else could they possibly talk about it? But with the language that they had then, Right. And you know what I mean? And But it's actually this computer kind of like simulation thing happening. They were just trying to understand. Well, that's, that's, I think, a dangerous confabulation because let me see if this makes sense. Let's it's see. kind of like if you look at a landscape and you say that landscape reminds me of this painting by Van Gogh mm-hmm. when actually the painting reminds you of the landscape because it preceded it. Right. Or right. when you look at a clock, you think it represents time. We're actually, well, that one's a little harder to get my head around. Let's just wrap that one, <laughs> throw that one out the window. But what I'm trying to get at is that we've, we've mined the mind for uh, metaphors to better understand mm-hmm. our interiority. And so we've come up with these technological metaphors uh, that then reflect back at us what things are like. So to say that the computer coding is the actual language, I think, is dangerous because we cast it back and we think that that's the primary reality when that's actually just um, a parable mm. universe is what I'd call it. Mm. It's not a parallel universe, but it's a parable of this world. That's true. And this kind of comes down to the idea of technosis that Eric Davis put forth, that all our technological innovations and inventions are actually upgrades from more ancient esoteric modalities Mm -hmm. so i always like to relate that back to the um for instance ayahuasca i call it vr in the sense of vegetal reality (laughs) because it's like you like you pointed out just take psychedelics in the church and the thing will be animated that's the original vr right vr is in fact in the ayahuasca case or any psychedelic case you put on your intro spectacles as Mm -hmm. i call them and you enter into that zone and when you think of the Shipibo shamans in mm. Peru, the way they represent the um, the technology with which to navigate inner space, which is, are the Icaros, the magic healing songs, or Icaros, as I call it, mm-hmm. to really emphasize mm-hmm. the operating system quality of that vocal remote control, the way they represent them in their telas or tapestries are these embroidered circuitry, like these circuitous motherboard metaphors that precede the actual soldered circuit boards of our computer systems. So Mm. it speaks to an inner technology before we even had the outer technology to analog that. So what I'm thinking is happened probably hundreds of years ago is that this insight was vented outwards. Mm -hmm. And then that gave the idea for somebody to be like, hey, this kind of looks like these copper wires that we could solder together and what if we you know do that and then all of a sudden you get the first binary Mm. um circuit boards i don't know there's there's a a lot of steps missing in that process i'm obviously not very technically versed but i take my poetic liberties well it's amazing how every innovation comes with the previous innovation needing to be in place for example like Mm -hmm. You know, you have to create that copper wire 
in order to create the next thing that follows it. But before someone does that, you can't have a vision of what follows it. Right. And how much do we take for granted every day, the inventions mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. have created the comforts of our lives? Exactly. Even yeah, because it's like for you, for you to have that brilliant music idea, someone had to have made the MacBook and Ableton and the charger and your whole situation before it allowed you to have the idea that you could even do this. Ooh, I can, I can riff off of that because yeah, for, for me, my own musical evolution, because I started out as a writer and then I started out as a screenwriter really. And then my screenplays, mm-hmm. a lot of times I wouldn't make them into movies because, you know, I was in my teens when I started that. So I didn't have the resources. This is before all the like, DSLRs and the whole revolution of technology that now puts entire movie studios in our pocket. (laughs) And so I would write these screenplays, but because they weren't being made, the language started becoming more prosaic. So then I started writing prose, but then the language started becoming more poetic and more musical, almost like the, the word, the written word was a chrysalis that wanted to break free, like the life force wanted to animate itself off of the dead symbols on the page. So then from that, there was a musicality that wanted to be born into the world. And I, you know, I played the didgeridoo, which is an interesting wind instrument, mm-hmm. which has Love its own it. dream time mythologies tied to that, a kind of like oh, wow. pipeline to the other side in the aboriginal lore. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I love the instrument. I, really, I didn't know the kind of yeah, history yeah. about so, maybe spiritual significance of it. Yeah. So the didgeridoo, it's the oldest wind instrument in the world, and it's made from a termite Traditionally, it's made from a termite hollowed log of eucalyptus tree. Mine is actually oh, wow. a, a, a agave um, mm-hmm. tube, which is a very thin membrane, which creates a really nice resonant sound. And then, mm-hmm. it, speaking of breathing, it's powered by the kind of pranic piston that you become when you learn to circular breathe. So you're breathing yeah. in through your nose and out through your mouth at the same time by creating wow. a separate reservoir in the lungs and belly. And the cheeks, the cheeks create a kind of secondary pump. So you release air into the mouth and you breathe that out as you breathe in new air into the, uh, into the lungs. Mm. So you create this very hypnotic kind of circuit once you get into the trance with it. And the sounds themselves are like this vibratory expanse, like these porous coral caves. And sometimes you can shape them into these little dreamtime warriors or in the aboriginal lore they would play them as storytellers so you'd get these like sounds which is like this is the kangaroo and the kangaroo came out of the dream time and did this thing and they tell their stories like that and that's how the world was created through this kind of roar of the sound that created these shapes and the shapes settle into this world as we know it which is imbued with the vibratory ancestral mythic resonance of the Mm. dreamtime the Shipibo also uh, have a similar notion that the world was created through song, but in their case, it was a um, a giant anaconda named Ronin, or Ronin, mm. which is also the Japanese word for samurai, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> and Ronin's patterns on its scales, scales also being a musical word, are the, again, the wow. kana, the patterns of circuitry that are uh, representative of the songs of the shaman. So it's almost like when the shaman chants these songs, he is singing the scales off of the hide of Ronin that yeah. created the world, that dreamt the world into being. And it would and it would create, 
you know, even beauty to people that had no idea what was actually going on. Like he was doing this, what you just said. And yet to other people, they're just hearing beautiful sounds and they say, mm-hmm. keep doing that. Yeah. <laughs> keep doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We like it. We love it, you know? And it, and it touches onto our inner circuitry, you know, unwittingly even because it aligns with that because it speaks from and to that. But where I was going with this is that, so that, that was kind of like my musical uh, foundation. Love it. And then I had an experience where, well, first of all, my friend Aslan, um, when I saw him perform his music, he was playing guitar and singing. And then he would have these moments where he would vocalize, for instance, string arrangements, just with, you know, or what would be a string arrangement. And I saw this and I was sure. like, wow, that's so interesting. Like, you don't need to have the instruments. You can emulate the instruments like that. And a couple of years before, Medulla had come out, Bjork's entirely vocally based album. Oh, love that one. And that like got me interested in learning to beatbox because I always had a, a knack Same. for making strange sounds. Same, bro. And then I went uh, to the desert and had a, uh, a number of kind of ritualistically induced mystical experiences um, where the world itself... The, the desert world, which was visually beheld as a visual composition, all of a sudden became unmuted mm. and was beheld as a vibrational, musical, syntactical um, experience where yeah. the soundscape was delivered to me through what I called metronomes. And it was just a name that I coined for these tangible frequencies that delivered the sound of the environment to it, to me. But when I th- unpacked that later... I thought metronomes, gnomes with a G, metro genomes. Yeah. And a genome is the pocket of information in the, uh, in the genes that signify a particular kind of being. For instance, there's a mm. genome for a monkey. There's a genome for a plant. There's a genome for a human. Yeah. And so what the met- metro means measure. So these guardians of the measure and the secrets of the treasure of all of existence, we're delivering pockets of information from different loci in the land in the same way that the, that the uh, aboriginals have this concept of the dream, the dream time song lines, where the landscape has these kind of like landmines almost that detonate with song and description through which to navigate the land of the ancestors. And so I was tangibly experiencing this and the desert sounded like this, like, wow. and I started hearing that. And then I started hearing, all I want is water, but the desert did me dreams. It fed me phantom rivers and its memories of streams. And then I realized I was singing that I had become a mouthpiece for the desert like the my body had been informed by these pockets of information delivered by these intangible beings that I called metronomes. Yeah. And I was now a mouthpiece for the desert, which had eons of sunshine to transmit, but had never had wow. anybody to talk to or talk through. Yep. And from that, I created a project called Thea Terra, which is um, translated, it's Thea is goddess. It's also my mother's name. And then Terra is earth. But then it's also theater, Ra, like the sun god. So it's the idea that the earth is this living being spotlit by the sun that is this kind of stage in which our lives play out. Mm -hmm. And I started 
making music purely vocally because the whole mm. this whole rant started when you were saying like without the technology and these instruments yep. we didn't have this but i kind of went back to the beginnings of music which is just the body the mm. music of the body and the voice and beating on things and you know I and i started that. making music like that and then later uh i started translating that to different instruments uh with the help of various musicians but my mm. roots are really in that um the kind of indigenous ingenuity of of just vocal vocalizations and and vocal rhythms and harmonies not unlike our friend morgan sorn who when i met him he had a very similar yes and we talked about that when he was my guest on self portraits as other people this sense of the landscape speaking and singing and you becoming yeah. a mouthpiece for for that communing with nature you yeah. know it's like the you know i'm not going to say the highest as in some better form but it's right. it is it's the most the, natural <laughs> yeah there you go we're just getting more natural we're getting away right. from all the unnaturalness right. that's yeah that's it i love it yeah that is why i love music and i've explained that a bunch you know so i'm repeating myself for you know people that i've heard several of my podcasts but you know, after everything left me in this psychedelic spiritual awakening I had, the one thing that I could observe was this music that was apparent, the beauty of sound. It was like I was hearing the universe, and you hear that universe means like one song. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's why I was like, okay, music's why I'm here. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that's what I got to do. That's There's no other thing, you know? You think about what would bring you joy, right? It's like, does a, being a banker bring, bring me joy? You know, like, uh, nope, check that off. You know, does being so-and-so, you know, run down the list of things you ever thought you'd be until you find the thing that brings you joy. And that was music. And, you know, music is a, it's a tough one to, to maybe monetize to the point that it's all you do for money but it is the, like the most rewarding it gives back so spiritual much spiritual practice yeah like when totally. you when you write something the word dies down on the page but mm -hmm. with music every note you play fuels your being like it feeds back like that's why i call it feedback right there's mm -hmm. a feedback loop and a positive reinforcement that continues and i think right. that i think shareable yeah exactly and i think everybody has it in them just like i think anybody can paint but it's always a matter of finding your own voice in whatever way because if you're if you if you say i can't paint or i can't sing it's just because you're comparing what you think song or painting is to somebody else's expression yeah and the scary thing is of course going into the unknown and listening to yourself as you do something and don't know where it's going to go so I've definitely dedicated my life to allowing the channel to get ahead of its meaning so that mm -hmm. I, I trust it now that things can come out and I can listen to what's happening and I can either agree or not agree or redact myself and be like, I didn't mean to say that. That didn't, didn't sound right, you know, or, but it's that, it's, it's that feeling. It's following that river. Mm -hmm. That's why I think, you know, psychedelics are very great tools when used properly Mm -hmm. to show you what you're capable of if you get out of your own way, meaning that nagging thought that says you can't do it, you're not good enough, you you miss hit that note, or you messed up the timing on your drum, or whatever it is, is gone. 
-hmm. and you're just in the ritual of the improvisational performance of what your soul wants to sing, what your soul wants to play. You know, like so so many of the reasons I think people probably quit music, for example, is because there's this like sense of, yeah, this technical skill thing or Mm -hmm. like this, like maybe the ability to be able to record their music to their to, to their liking where it sounds like the music they think sounds good because that's a tough thing. You know, it takes mm-hmm. mastering and engineering yeah. and equipment and all this crazy stuff to sound like the music you think sounds good. But like, because they are not able to produce, they'll just quit instead of let the soul keep singing, man. You know yeah. what I mean? And what you're saying about psychedelics is that it's, it creates a bypass because it takes away the thing that gets in the way, which is our inhibition, that yeah. sense of false sense of identity that we limit ourselves with, the uh, analytical um, interface. And that's why often it feels like something is coming through or you're channeling something. It's just because you're allowing the body to speak freely, mm-hmm. to express itself freely and in the right setting, like you were saying, like yeah. if you do it appropriately. So it's all about creating the container with people you trust right. and an environment that is conducive to it where 100%. you allow this kind of boundless openness to That's contain and, and resound. Yes, this is a resound. private, intimate thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You're not supposed to be taking psychedelics to the point, you know, I'm not going to say you don't microdose because microdosing is very interesting and helps a lot of people and you can go function in the world. But what I want to say is if you're going to have a ceremony, a ceremonial dose of psychedelics, this is a private and intimate thing. You need to be alone and comfortable with your being yourself, Yeah. you know, like, and maybe not alone because maybe you have a, a, a friend, but you know, when your friend is such a good friend, you may as well be alone because you're going to go through exactly what you need to go through and they're going to understand, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so like, you know, like maybe people can't unlock to this musicality or this flow or this rhythm that could actually be very helpful to them in creating art that will help satisfy their soul, you know, because they're not in the proper containers when these modes unlock, you know, like you might get into the place to want to chant, but you're say, standing in line at the store and you shouldn't, and you know, you shouldn't, and it's probably going to induce all this anxiety. And you're like, I'm having crazy thoughts to do like, Oh, they're, they're telling me to chant, you know, but instead mm-hmm. if you were in the proper spiritual container where it's like, Hey, allow things to come up and then you start maybe chanting or whatever. You're like, Oh, I can do it. This whole time <laughs> I thought I couldn't do it. What the heck? You know? When you say chanting, too, I'm thinking like mantras, which are repetitive, and it's almost like a, a, a tuning ritual or a loosening up of the vocal cords and of the vibrational mm-hmm. um, qualities of the voice to right. come into that space where all the, the dust has been kind of trembled off the speakers and it can, it can find better expression. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you speaking to is the, the language of the soul and the various obstructions to that, like you mentioned things like like banking or these institutions are standing in line for things like these kind of uh, yeah. structured, concrete-minded apparitions that have, like I mentioned, like been extracted from the soil. And they, mm-hmm. they stand there as a metaphor for what is within, but they also can become eclipsing factors to the mm-hmm. within, right? Mm-hmm. And then also our language, like we're using now, the word is something that 
can displace us from the body, especially the written word, because it doesn't have the vibrational quality, the animal quality with which we express. And so I'm, I'm always very interested in finding natural languages, music, of course, being the most soulful or spiritual, if you can call mm. it that, because it is, you know, it's, it, it can be heavenly or it can be hellish. It can just like embody spaces and times and other realms. So powerful. Imagine because lo loud volume music, yeah. like it brings to mind this joke we used to play on my friend where we get this really creepy Aphex Twin song called Radiator. I don't know if you've heard it, it's but it's like, yep, that's the one. And we would just blast it like loud when he would come home, like from school or something. And we would shut all the lights and shut all the, the curtains and make it pitch black and just blast it. It's like, you literally can't function in, you're like disoriented. You know what I mean? Like yeah. music itself can set this whole emotion, you know, like, it's especially loud music it's it's pure air conditioning especially like that album you're mentioning the ambient works or another one that comes to mind is um coil music to listen to in the dark oh yeah love volume it. two you know it? yeah know it. or their time machines is another album mm -hmm. where you get like these 25 minute tracks that are just like frequencies shifting ever so subtly like if you turn that on you just feel it it yep. conditions a mood that you can move through and that's i think a very potent way to um, design experience in a sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. You can really control a whole mood, you know? And that's why a good music playlist, you know, go check out timewell.net is, you know, really helpful for these containers. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, because it can bring that uplifting vibe, even when you maybe feel anxious or whatever it is, you know, but I, I guess just kind of getting back to it's, it's so interesting how, music is something you can take with you too like you can remember these drum patterns and hit your legs and make drums you can remember these melodies and bring them through your voice you can mm -hmm. bring music anywhere once you learn it yeah and even, even words if you can find kind of like the lyrical cadence or the yep. you, you start to focus on the sounds of consonants because even that is the basis of beatbox right yeah you know all yep. these S's, K's, P's, T's, yeah. all of it. Maybe that's why this is maybe, you know, you said earlier a very, if not the most spiritual kind of transmission is that, you know, you can certainly paint these things, but you need a paint brush and canvas versus... Well, you, I mean, it, I think the equivalent to it would be that... Or an you, know, you, can, you can smear mud on a wall and you can paint with that, you know, yeah. if, if that's the, the visual equivalent of it. Like you don't need the tools. You can use anything in your surroundings to that's create true. with. That's true. And another thing I wanted to touch on to, because you had mentioned universe being one song yeah. or one poem, this kind of thing. The idea of music and sound is that sound is like the great connecting factor, right? Like if the universe is one big ohm or one big sound wave in which there are these little isolated sound waves mm -hmm. or frequencies or wavelengths if you'd call it that um it's the unifying factor while at the same time to bring it back to the persona the mouth with the megaphone it's also what separates us because for instance right now the sound is coming from my persona and it's reaching your persona and then when you speak there's the identification of matt mm -hmm. speaking back this way mm -hmm. And so it's it's that beautiful kind of paradoxical 
it's the connecting factor and it's the separating factor of what I call the ventriloquist source, mm. which there was a meme recently that kind of in a very cute way illustrated that where there's this character and it says the universe and then he's got his fingers sticking out from above this water line mm -hmm. and then each of the fingers is its own little character Mm -hmm. so that the uh, you know kind of like the way that light refracts through a prism all of a sudden there's this spectrum of differentiation mm -hmm. where what was one thing light is now all of a sudden a spectrum of color yes wow now, i wanted to say too about the the with natural languages like i'm very drawn to these kind of abstract elemental languages like uh the calligraphy of clouds or the the drifting alphabets if you can call them that they look like sanskrit mm -hmm. like that drift in the tide or yep. the the kind of almost arab-esque quality of a termites carvings in the wood and you actually had a song recently called cloud shape what was it called uh cloud like cloud like which i loved and i got that mm -hmm. image in mind of this kind of cloud form drifting along and then with each kind of distorted drum hit or bass hit or whatever the sound was, I would see it kind of glitch into this prismatic aberration, mm. you know, and as it was drifting, it was taking on different forms. And it was like this very cool cloud parade that was coming Absolutely. forth from the sound that you had crafted. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. That is, you know, pretty accurate, you know, because I think a lot of what I draw from tone wise is the feelings that I get in these kind of beautified mystical states. Um, it really, you know, because I'm sure, you know, so many people create for so many different reasons. It's it's all a different thing to each person. You know, some people want to create sounds that are just, you know, death metal sounds. They just want, <laughs> you know, like straight rage or whatever it is. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm really inspired by you know, like I'm awestruck to the point that I'm inspired to try to encapsulate an experience through song, you know, and that's kind of why I began making music is it's my own little like time capsule of these experiences, yeah. you know, and, you know, some of them aren't always psychedelic, but every song is psychedelic, but uh, the tones that I, that call to me, go ahead. Yeah. What's, what's funny is the, uh, the death metal example. I always think of that because, I, I'm not drawn to that sound, but what often happens is when you transpose that to like an acoustic setting, it's very beautifully and technically mm -hmm. composed music. Like if oh, you yeah. listen to like a metal song as heavy wood, let's say, you know, just acoustic instruments. Sure. It's almost like this um, minstrel-like quality or this tribal, mm -hmm. medieval yeah. uh, influence. But it's just, I've got that. I've got that. Yeah. I've got that. Absolutely. It's like... Um, the band Mashuga. Right cool. there. Uh, I love, you know, I'm not a, you know, I don't love the lyrics. They're kind of doom and gloom for me, but the freaking sounds and the rhythms I carry with me. Yeah. After I hear them, they're stuck in my head for days. It's like, you know, Norwegian or Danish? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't I know. They're from one of those places. They're definitely Scandinavian uh, ensemble. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the rhythms they introduce in these weird kind of like, you know, I'm not good at talking about the different, you know, meters and stuff, you know, like I'm not five, either. five. I've and never been able to figure that out. You know, like some, some of my friends are good at that. So yeah. I'll let them be good at it. But um, like just 
I can remember the, the, the rhythm though, even though it's so complex and I have no idea how to count it or anything, I can tap it out along with it and I will totally carry those things. And like you said, it's that there are, it, it does sound a certain way because of the, the detuned guitars and all that distortion and stuff. But like, if you were to just translate it to all drums and, you know, like wooden, you know, like Zim, uh, what are those things called? Like xylophones. Th- or something. Yeah, xylophones. Yeah. Exactly. Like it would be like this tribal, like shamanic, you know, yeah. kind of experience. Yeah, it's deep digging. Like if you look at, well, I'm not going to get into that, but there's a lot of bands that have that sort of sound, and it's just like a, a, a forceful deep dig right to the the center of the tootsie roll, if you will. Mm-hmm. And. I had another thought that just came to mind, but then it slipped away. Oh, yeah. You mentioned how you can memorize the rhythm or how you can take that with you. And kind of my work in its various facets, it's geared towards, this is my tagline, right, that I always say at the beginning of my podcast, for instance. It's where the limits of language meet the fringes of reality. Mm-hmm. And I had a song lyric that was the opening of a song, and it sounds like an invocation uh, and almost like a like a regal pl- proclamation and it goes give us language to express the timing of the endlessness give us language to impress our forms upon the emptiness mm-hmm. that's it that's it that's the whole purpose that's right. that's what i was saying that's how we get kind of get back to the beginning of talking about why we're here exactly you know and we all have our own forms of channeling that it's some through it's it's cooking some it's you know branding some it's you know tech coding and video game creation and for some it's music and for some it's poetry it's like but just it's i don't know you know maybe this isn't a message for everyone i feel like it is but i i guess what i'm trying to say is everyone is a creative entrepreneur you don't have to go do the bank you don't have to go do the the checkout at Walmart. If you know, maybe you do to well, get to where you something like banking, which we which we tend to think of as a kind of uh, a demonic art or something like that, right? Because <laughs> it seems so far removed from everything. Sure. Like the Dow Jones is not that far removed from the Dow Te, you know, from the way of virtue. It's still we're talking about fluctuating currencies mm-hmm. and betting on those and watching their behaviors and the economy in the same sense as the ecology is kind of what lords over the tides like the modern world is is lorded by a kind of vishnu like um wall street ensemble many armed wall street ensemble pulling strings and buying and selling and that creates the ebb and flow of the um the world of human artifice mm-hmm. just like in the same way the natural world is lorded over by a different kind of dao that similarly ebbs and flows and if you pay attention to that one then you can also you know yeah tune into different spirals that will different vortices and whirlpools that will increase in magnitude and others that will fizzle out and you know you learn through trial and error i guess yeah i I was going to ask you too about because on the subject of sound you're um i listened to one of your episodes and you had this really cool synth swell Mm. intro that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah, we could talk about the the conceptual kind of uh, intro there. So this is interesting to get to explain um, because 
what I envision is it's almost inspired by it's essentially the DMT experience where mm. you kind of get to go into this like geometrical astral plane where all of time is accessible mm-hmm. and, and time is completed already. And it's like you're in an archive of everything that's happened. And then you get to zoom in to the conversation happening between the two people. In this case, it'd be you and me, you know? Mm-hmm. So you blast off into the Zian archive, you know, which is this kind of, you know, etheric astral space where this kind of guide comes and, and greets you. It's almost like what happens in DMT and then says, what do you want to hear? Oh, you want Michelangelo and Matt. All right, let me load that up for you. And then it's almost as if they're zooming in back into the, the, the sliver of space and time where this conversation happens. That's kind of the, cool. the concept. <laughs> oh, I like that. Well, I think it's just, it's a, it's a good seduction into an episode. Cause I, I wanted to check out an episode before I came on. So I, I turned it on and it just has like a nice, kind of come on mm-hmm. you know like a rise and a, like an, an invitation and then there's the little bleep bloop uh howl <laughs> female yeah. howl voice that comes in welcome to Xeon archives and then <laughs> then we're in the conversation right which also it's funny because um you said howl which is of course a 2001 reference uh mm-hmm. we, we were going to touch on to maybe these monoliths that have been popping yeah. up left and right yeah, what do you think they are? They're Collect the awesome. whole set. I think, I, I think it's funny because there were just like four more that popped up, like right. one in Holland and Colombia and I think a couple more places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started calling it a polylith because you can't really call it a monolith anymore if it's not just one. Yeah. But I, I think it's funny because it's a phenomenon that, you know, in itself is, in my eyes, quite clearly man-made or yeah. staged yeah. but it opens up uh conversations let's say yep and uh it it's kind of like it sends out even though it's like an inanimate object without any technology inside of it it sends out a signal of disruption in the daily flow of things in the same way that a crop circle would where it just right. kind of makes you stop to go like what am, what is this what is it about like who's doing this why are they doing this why now at the end of 2020 which is already such a plot twisted year right and then i think it reminds me of banana gate which is a name i just gave it but uh, i don't know if you remember last year at art basil there was somebody that had taped a banana to the wall oh, I didn't. and it sold for i think two hundred thousand dollars my gosh, that's funny. And a lot of people were, of course, pissed off and sharing. They're like, this isn't art. And I'm like, why are you spending your energy and time like sharing it if it's yeah. not art? And it was really – and then I saw all these memes popping up about it. And then there was like a guy dressed in a banana suit taped to the wall. You know, it became like this kind of ridiculous um, – oh this focal point that radiated outward into um, yeah. memeing for meaning – kind of fractal offshoots and and conversations and i feel the same way about these monoliths they're these points of focus that radiate outwards into this kind of matrix of conversation and emulation like i've created a couple of meme-like things from it and and just 
it's just it, it's a stupid in a way it's a stupid thing like i look at it and i'm just like this is so stupid it's so meaningless but i love making meaning of it or creating just like yeah. you know the original monolith in the right. movie is this big iphone that sh- <laughs> let's, let's face it it's a big iphone that shows up right. in the middle of nowhere and everybody that comes in contact with it just trips out mm-hmm. yeah i wonder why for me it felt because my opinion changed which was initially it felt like something actually kind of mystical mm-hmm. and then as more and more popped up i started to think the first one was real but the following ones were people that were influenced by the first one. Right. I was thinking about that too, like that it's, they're a reaction. Yes. They're a, that. Yeah. The following ones are a reaction. Could the first one actually be real? I don't know. But then I started to think it could just be a performance art piece by, let's say, Banksy. You know, it's right. like, I just want to, I got all the money in the world. Let me go build some fucking pyr- pyramids or not pyramids, <laughs> yeah. uh, mirror monoliths. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's going to cost me 50 grand, but we're going to get a kick out of it, you know, or whatever it is. There was an article, I just shared it with Jen Sodini um, about this artist. I forget his first name. His last name was McCracken, mm-hmm. who passed away, but he used to make objects like this. And, you know, he was a big believer in extraterrestrial life and um, mystical experiences and things like that. And he had in his lifetime talked about wanting to spread these things in different random places, just hiding them. Mm-hmm. So there is a good chance that the first one at least was one of his that yeah. he placed there and it had been there for a long time. I think Google maps even showed that it had been there for years. So it's very no possible he, he did That's that. Why I feel authentic about it. You know, what's that? And if no one knew and it's right. been there for several years, that's why I feel like that one is an authentic, real, you know, a, a real wonder, you know. Well, like, the, the wonder is that it was discovered now of all times, right? In this, true. and you know, we had the 2012 um, fiasco where, <laughs> we, you know, tw- December 21st, 2012, like the, the big uh, paradigm shift uh, is coming in and we're uh, shifting into a higher level of awareness or whatever that story mm-hmm. was. And then that didn't quite go down the way we thought. And now they're like, actually, we got the date wrong. Classic, like, uh, prophetic, prophetic apologist uh, mm-hmm. statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now it's been transposed to December 21st, 2020, when there's a big planetary do do going on in the sky. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know I, that. There's I don't know the specifics, now. but there's a bunch of planets are supposed to... Also, get in line. <laughs> they have to wait in line uh, to get front row seats to the uh, the the revelation or the apocalypse or the. That's funny. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, mm-hmm. my initial thoughts on 2012 is I I pondered it in an altered state. You know, many years after 2012, and I felt like what I came to was something did happen because if you look at the things that we consider normal now before 2012 we're completely not normal like uber and all this and that you know what i mean right. all these great like iphones and instagram and blah, blah 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 all this stuff like these are now normal we're in a new world we truly are if you were to fast forward and, and like drop ourselves back into 2011 we'd be like where's all the stuff that i'm used to like this is completely like it started, I, it started before then even like 
I think well, speaking of monoliths and iPhones, like when the first iPhones started coming out is when the big Apple revolution, when the, the when the Apple was first bitten, let's say, uh, and the new technology started flooding the world uh, was, was before that time even, but definitely like leading up to 2012 too, like my interpretation of this prophecy was what would create the shift is if media would change and if the media would come into our hands and that's mm. kind of when you know youtube all of a sudden and that whole revolution of this Very kind true. of demo- democratized creation well that's what i mean to say too is if we go back to 2011 how much less information that we have access to yes like even through youtube even though youtube was a thing it only had a certain amount of videos now we can yeah. find even so much more information so while the shift wasn't overnight kaboom if we really think about it in this span of 2012 to now, we're in a different world. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. So that's the way I think of 2012. And But as far as that's a very interesting to me, I definitely am intrigued to learn more about uh, it actually being postponed till now or something. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's kind of, it's just the, the new wave of it. You know, somebody's always going to step in and find some mm-hmm. alignment in the heavens that's supposed to create like a really intense energy on December 21st that's of course mm. somebody will liken it akin to a DMT state and mm-hmm. if you're not prepared for it you're going to have a really uh trippy twisted time sure. uh and if you've done your breath work beforehand mm-hmm. you might be able to uh brace the rowdy rapids and row right past the yeah. isle of the sirens that's funny. Let's entertain this thought of what would happen if some spiritual, you know, like dimension shift, how would it happen? How would it go about if we get creative with it for this little like theoretical movie? You well, know, like, I feel like the, the whole COVID thing already did that. Like, let's see. It's funny because this your platform is called Time Wheel. And I thought of the little COVID symbol as a kind of, I described it in one of my podcasts as a time wheel or a prayer wheel that's just parading mm-hmm. through the streets and people are running from it and some of them get trampled by it and some of them get touched by it and become initiates, almost like a video game. Like, like and they're, they're crowned, you know? Uh, yeah. They've got the antibodies. They are now like part of that. And that is called a, a corona, which is like the crown, like the Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jesus H. Kronos was a right. term I... Uh, I, I coined because we talk about the year 2020 has counted since, you know, the year of our Lord. Yeah. So, and then I was thinking Jesus H. Corona, that this is like the new Messiah uh, that's coming around. Yeah, so I feel this will trigger people, but what if Corona is something we're supposed to get? Yeah, well, even, even if you don't get it, it still has influenced everybody one way or another, you know? True, true, true. So, so I feel like even, I don't know what's, waiting for us on december 21st i'm not putting too much stock into okay. it to give it a i guess marketplace I'll, metaphor but at the I'll, same time this whole yeah. year has already been a kind of uh initiation and examination of how right. systems are organized and how they're failing and what's important and where to place our focus amazing yep i guess i will give my my quick go at how like a spiritual, you know, you know, revelations, you know, that the last part of the Bible would go down, which is something like all the things that have consciousness 
it becomes now clear to everyone and the the trees are openly communicating with you the rocks are openly just shining their consciousness to you and and the even the animals appear in their pure majestic spirit forms to the point that everyone has woken up to the fact that it's all alive and we shouldn't be killing any of it mm. the revival that, of animism yes animism returns to, that's to, my to new speak movie to that um <laughs> <laughs> a quick quick plug from my Patreon. Uh, I, I put an essay on there a little while ago, an illustrated essay called Grotesque Gods, yeah. which uh, has a lot of my um, kind of pareidolic artwork, which has a lot of um, trees and, and palm trees and just natural organic forms with faces that I've embellished that I mm. saw in there. And then I just like touched them up so that they're more personified. But right. it's, you know, maybe that's my part in your vision is to kind of bring the, to speak for the trees like a good Lorax, you know, to yeah. give them their face, to unmask the um, seemingly inanimates and give them a voice right. as the metronomes would have wanted it. Right. <clears throat> well, when you find yourself in that state, I feel like, you know, Michael Phillip you know, had said on my podcast with him that he's been reevaluating this idea and, and that in turn has helped me to maybe put more mental power into uh, thinking of this idea or rethinking of this idea, but that everyone would get it. You know what I mean? But maybe everyone can't get it. Would get it? What is the, what is the it that they're getting? Like the divine nature mm -hmm. that everything is. Like the, the way I just said, you know the trees would would be in their full form and, and apparent to you as a being mm -hmm. that's making all of the air that you breathe and doing everything for us and yet we never see them you know and like uh the fact that all these animals have souls and they're a little person in there dude and yet we'll kill them and eat them it's crazy if everyone saw what psychedelics show you which is this kind of unhuman data. It's like, here's what it is without you like thinking that you're apart from it. You know what right. I mean? Like, there's what? a great um, Jack yeah. Handy quote. You remember Jack Handy? He was like uh, on Saturday Night Live, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. <laughs> he, has, he has one yeah. that's so good and it's so appropriate to this. He says, Maybe if trees could, maybe if trees could scream, we wouldn't be so cavalier in cutting them down, unless of course they'd scream all the time for no good reason. <laughs> God, that guy was such a gem. That's a good one. I'm trying to look up this other thing here so that I can quote myself. But the idea of um, you said animals—they're like a little person in there. Yeah. Because we have this sense of. Uh, different species right yeah and we have a sense of for humans that we're special right and that animals are not special but the thing is the word is actually special and mm -hmm. when we think of an animal if you see for instance a fox that's any fox that fox could be any fox right mm -hmm. but then if you see a person for instance oh here it is i'm, I'm going to read it to you yeah it goes the word special which you'd instinctively pronounce Special is actually pronounced special as it relates to the word species. 
Were you to venture into the wilderness and encounter a fox, you'd say, look it, a fox. And it could have been any fox, for all foxes are special and equal in their specialness. Each fox represents the entire species. Each fox is every fox, nothing special. But were you to venture into the not-so-wilderness and encounter, for example, Dan Aykroyd, you'd say, look it, Dan Aykroyd, and not, look it, a human. Because <laughs> although Dan Aykroyd is a member of the human species, he is in himself unique and special, by which I mean to imply that he is like a species unto himself, as are you, as are we all. Oh, right. so special, aren't we, we stylized animals? Yep. That's it. That's what I'm trying to say. That's exactly. <laughs> it's like we would see the specialness in even every tree, you know, mm. every every animal, every insect, every person, and we would not be fighting and killing and arguing. You know what I mean? We would put effort towards love if we only knew that everything is as special as we think we are, you know? Right. And at the same time, the animals also eat each other left and right. But I think that the, the key distinction there is, you know, not to eat more than you need. And of course, the sure. circumstances in which we've kind of industrialized the, uh, the Holocaust sure. of cows and chickens and things like that, just the it's it's funny when we think of like humane <laughs> humane forms of slaughter is already such an oxymoron, but I think right. you get what I'm kind of aiming at. Just the yeah, um, yeah. Well, a more natural balance. We've lost the balance. In the yeah, world. while while they are you know special and each of them, humans have the gift of intellect. We should be even more evolved than the animals eating each other. But yeah, that's also just a mask we wear, right? The idea that because we're talking animals and because we're dreaming animals, we somehow have more right to live and to dominate uh, other beings, which I think is, like you said, just because we have these um, higher faculties, mm -hmm. in quotes, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that we're wiser, <laughs> you know, in the way we... Go about things. Potential, though we have the potential. We have. We've got so much potential. <laughs> yeah, each animal, it being its own kind of person, us being our own type of person. I think we would be able to have a greater effort towards sustaining life, and yet we're the ones destroying the ecosystems. Right. It's crazy the the game they sold us, bro. It's not the right game. We got to get to know the animals better because if you think about it, like I have a cat and I know it. That's a little person, like you said, you know. When you when it's your pet, you know it very much, right. but the chicken I ate yesterday, that's just uh, that's chicken. It's labeled chicken, chicken you know. Right. We don't so, know it as Freddy the 3rd, you know. Yeah, and it reminds yeah, me of this of this meme about um this couple that finds a, a spider and she says, don't kill it. She says, take it out. So I went and had some drinks with it. Real nice guy wants to be a web designer, <laughs> which of course we always, we, we were raised, we're talking animals. Like I mentioned, we're raised by cartoons of talking animals. So we have a very twisted and uh, almost like cartoony perception of personhood. And when it comes to animals as well. So like the, silly example i just gave it's kind of the way we tend to look at it in a way of like getting to know that the animal is its own 
little person. It's got its dreams and aspirations and ambitions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was uh, doing that as well recently, where I was kind of putting my mental daily onto my dog, right? And it it it's not the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't they and that's and it's honestly like honestly pretty beautiful how simple that it is for them because they don't have this this like big goal to achieve they're kind of just hanging out they want to eat they want some attention some affection and they want to run around freely maybe chase a squirrel totally i think also of um learn from that grizzly man the werner herzog yep where there's the the scene where or Timothy Treadwell is just so it was like I just looked in its eyes and I just saw so much love. And then Herzog comes in, he's like, Here I differ with Treadwell. I look in this bear's eyes and I see only the cold indifference of nature. You know, like it's the kid is projecting humanity right. into the animal right. when actually the animal's looking at him and he's like, Maybe I'll eat you later. Yeah. Not right now. I already had some salmon. And he's looking at him and he's like, oh, he's so pretty, so lovely. He likes me. And the animal's just like, I'll probably eat him in his tent later, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. I know. Like, that's why that movie is so great. Just the tension yeah. between those two perspectives. Like, of course, the most famous scene in there is when, speaking of foxes, there's like the little foxes that were his friends and he mm-hmm. finds them mauled and he's crying and he's like, I don't understand. How can it be so cruel? And, mm-hmm. you know, like nature is supposed to be harmony. And then again, Herzog comes in with the exact opposite with the classic lines. Yeah, again, I differ with Treadwell, whereas he sees the world as kind and harmonic. I see the common denominator as chaos, hostility and murder. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's you know, it's the, the truth is somewhere in between. You know yes, what I mean? There's a time and a place for both. You know, you might catch the bear in a particularly friendly moment because yeah, sometimes dogs are very protective and standoffish, hmm. and sometimes they're very friendly. I think they they're could very, very loyal too. Yeah. Moment, you know, but yeah. that's not its its baseline. It's nature, yeah, yeah. It's, it, th- how how much longer do we have? To see if 15, I can get into it. Okay. So it, I'll tell you a little psychedelic tale yeah. that gave me an insight into exactly what we're talking about and what you just said about humans are like, we have this intellect and we have this so much potential, you said, right? Yeah. So I was by the river um, with my friend LSD on the mind uh-huh. and the entire riverbank, all the, it was, it was nighttime full moon was blasting and frosting the landscape with cold silver light and all the wet rocks along the river were like perfectly sculpted psychic sculptures like Rodin's garden or like Sukalski sculptures or I saw all these influences of these dark like Geiger-esque things and I imagine if I were a sculptor and I'd look at a rock that's exactly what I would see I would see the potential that it could be shaped into and it started to show me the the garden of my own psyche. And yep. what I saw was the basically the river was the river of time. And it was this indifferent stream that just rushed along. And it was very much like we talked about earlier, the Tao, as in 
the stock market, but also like the Dow as in the way, the the ineffable way of nature. And I noticed how all the little swells and eddies and vortices on the surface were these portals of potential. And sometimes they would grow and you could bet on that and your investment would grow. And sometimes you'd bet on the wrong one and it would fizzle out. Mm-hmm. And the stakes were high. It was life and death. Mm-hmm. And there were these rocks alongside the river on one side and one of them looked like unicorn rubble and the one next to it were like cyborg bits and then there was like a t-rex t-rex um skeleton also so this mm-hmm. dinosaur rubble and to me like interpreting this later these were my fears you know of the future of where the stream of life was going there was traces of extinction just as we propel ourselves towards our extinction potentially on fossil fuels you know mm-hmm the very bones and liquidated remains of the dinosaurs fueling us towards that impending doom. And then the dinosaur, that was the dinosaur rebel. And then the unicorn bits was just fantasy had been abolished. Right. You know, there was no more fantasy. This was like stark truth, bare boned. And then the cyborg bits, that was just like some transhumanist future on the horizon, which is something that often comes up for me in, lysergic mind states but then i noticed in the midst of the river there was like this little drop this little like waterfall point with these rocks in there and these rocks were perfectly formed in the shape of a family there was this at the center of it this this knight like his scaled armor was glinting in the moonlight with the wetness of the water and he had his arm extended up like the statue of liberty and he was holding on in the stream as his his woman, his, this maiden was clinging to him and she was touching his face and she was going, she was comforting him as he like stoically held fast in this indifferent stream that sought to unearth them. And on their hip, they had a child, almost like a purse, like a little baby. And it was this family unit that was holding fast in this, this, this indifferent violent stream of time and next to them there was this alien being that looked like a mugwump if you've ever seen um naked lunch the cronenberg adaptation of the william burroughs film there's these creatures called mugwumps and this looked just like that but its neck was twisted and broken it had literally been broken in the breakneck speeds of the stream twisted and it just made the wrong turns you know and in the midst of this uh, these this family, these beings, these heavenly creatures, to coin a term from the Peter Jackson film, uh, in which these clay sculptures come to life, is what it felt like, this garden of heavenly creatures. They were breathing. Of course, it was my own respiration, probably, and my psychoactively induced mind state that was inducing this. And I can, I knew they were, weren't real Mm-hmm. But the way I put it is I knew they weren't real. They're just how I feel. But they breathe and they love in the face of a stream that knows nothing thereof. It was the sense that the stream of time and the indifference of nature was loveless. It didn't know the thing we call love, but that's our invention. Mm-hmm. That's something that we bring to it and our imagination of that we get to ingress that into the world as a reality as we see it fit. And that's why people are like, oh, I don't believe in love or like I've had too many experiences. I'm jaded, which is a rock term. I'm jaded. I don't believe in it. But it's exactly that. It's it's something we create. It's not something we find. It's not something that, you know, 
is inherent. It's something we create through our actions and our deeds, which kind of brings us back full circle, right? Mm. And it's that yeah. devotional um, unification element that that that's I, our potential made real, yeah. the word made flesh, if you will. That's a really awesome story and impressive how well you can remember that um, vision as well, because there was many details. And yeah, I've many years ago. <laughs> say it one more time. And that's many years ago. This is like 2007. Yeah. Around no, the could... same time, that same summer as the metronomes, actually, I had a big uh, yeah. epoch of exploration that showed me a lot of things. That see, I'm 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 a very psychedelic person, but I don't partake in substances very often at all because I've I've absorbed so much from it that I'm still unpacking. Absolutely. And re-encoding into objects and products uh, that, you know. That's great. That's, that's what you should do. You know, Um, I was going to say on your, on the topic of love, I feel as if I've had the understanding or experience of love as gravity, gravity, in a sense, if we look at gravity as a metaphor um, more than some type of physical force, I think that it is love that binds us all in a sense, whereas you were saying maybe the universe doesn't feel love, but it doesn't know it by that name, and I agree, but I think that it's gravity because even our heart almost has this gravity and like people when you're close to each other, you feel it, you know, you get affectionate, you get like a magnet, like a magnetic pool. Yeah. The unifying factor underlying everything within. That's what I think I got an experience of. It's all love and love is the force behind it all. It's not that the universe knows it by the same name and emotion it gives us, but rather that it is gravity pulling things together. And then it also called to me the whole interstellar movie mm-hmm. where love could bring someone from the furthest reaches of where a human could even go. Like literally not only in actual space and through an actual wormhole to the actual furthest place you could ever get from this earth, but even through the weird astral time warp thing he went through with the black hole love still brought him out and Mm -hmm. that calls to me as why maybe it is one of the most maybe it's the the one of the most powerful forces or maybe the force binding and all what do you think of that because it sounds like you had a little bit of a different experience there well because what you're describing like i would like you said gravity but that feels like something that keeps us that, that, that grounds us, but you were talking more, it seems like about something that pulls us towards each other. So almost like a, instead of like a vertical gravity, like a horizontal gravity, like a magnetism, right? right. Based on this underlying field. Right. And the thing is in that field of love, horrible things also happen. They mm-hmm. all take place in the field of love, in the unified field, wars are fought, in the unified field, people are raped, murdered, betrayed, all this stuff happens. But so it's the choice of attuning to that field and finding an expression of it that expresses 
that devotion and connectedness and care and attention and mindfulness. But yeah. it ultimately comes to the choice because that same field can also be expressed by its opposite, yep. which is disconnection, which is violence, violation, mm -hmm. separation, severance. So yeah. again, it comes down to the, the potential. Love is a potential that can find expression right. um, through our through our creation lack of awareness mm -hmm. of that feeling maybe they weren't given it very much they trauma they believe in it you know what i mean they don't it takes faith to believe in love and well i think i think trauma is something too that kind of casts us out of the garden if you'll take yep. the biblical metaphor it's the thing that banishes us from the garden is if you were raised, for instance, in a home that where there was no love, where there was only separation and conflict and drama, mm -hmm. then that manifests itself as a kind of like eclipsed, uh, a wound, a wound that, that eclipses our connection to that place in ourself. Like you said, it pulls us so far outside of ourselves that we're so far away from home, we don't even believe that there is such a place. Right. And then it becomes, you know, oftentimes, you know, hurt people, hurt people. That's not a call to action. That's just an observation about how people have wounds. And then they oftentimes will inflict it on others unless they become aware of that and shine a light into that darkness and decide the buck stops here. Again, yeah. using banking terminology mm -hmm. uh, to, to, again, make that choice to transmutate yeah. potential into action encoded into Yep. Something that leaves a, 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 a that shapes the collective soul in such a way that it reverberates, like the teachers you were saying that leave behind their mm -hmm. their teaching, so that it's like a guiding light that that beckons us through the dark night of the soul and the valley of the shadow. Right, right, yeah, because it is. Again, you know, I think that's kind of the mission here, even of this podcast, is to spread awareness of the possibilities because they're not, they don't want you to know about this. Like the systems at play that try to, you know, use us to their end, like they don't want you to know about boundless love and interconnectedness. They want you to think everything but that. But at, at the same time, that's, it's the biggest selling product is a kind of uh, manicured manufactured version of it. Right. It's like they, they flip the thing on its head to where now you think that love is a, a button you see on Instagram and not right. the feeling that you get from a good conversation or seeing a friend or having, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. They're, the, the, the they in that system, I don't necessarily, I think that's more like a program that runs in us. I don't think there's actually somebody out there rubbing their hands together going like, we have to keep love out of the mainstream sort of thing. I think it's just the things we've extracted in order that we've pulled out of ourselves in order to see what's inside can often obstruct us from what's within us. I had this insight once where... I saw a, I was moving through a dark hallway and I could see kind of like this an, ancestor shaped light, if you will, in hallucinatory terms, that was kind of like extending itself from the end of the hallway where uh, a horizon line of light was seeping out from a closed door. 
Mm. And it was forming into these like figures that were guiding me through the dark. So I could see in the dark technically. And when I opened up the door and the light flooded in and the room came into focus, I noticed this light bulb, which was a false illumination. And I thought to myself, if we can see in the dark, why did we create some external light source to displace that? And then I, I realized it was a game of hide and seek that we, everything we've created outside of ourselves is something that's out there to challenge us to realize it back within ourselves. So all these technologies that we've built are ultimately going to have to be re-internalized realizations. Like we were saying, like it's coming full circle again. We don't need the instruments because it's all inside of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, that was absolutely incredible. I think that's a great place to, to call it, dude. That was I awesome. So. I think so too, man. This was really fun. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. So where can people learn more about you and what different uh, you know offerings do you have available? Yeah. So the central locus is theungoogleable.com or you could also go to voidandimagination.com. They both land at the same place. Uh, on Instagram, I'm void underscore denizen. Uh, and there's, you know, through the, the website, you can find all these different links too. I've got a little book that's an illustration collaboration with about 35 different artists that each illustrated a different whimsical little verse of mine. Uh, the book is called The He and the She of It mm -hmm. uh, that I'm going to be releasing hopefully before the year is out. So if you join my newsletter or follow me on Instagram, you'll see things popping up about that. And there's going to be a limited run of prints of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I have my Patreon, patreon.com slash void denizen, where I drop exclusive contents, um, bonus materials from the podcast, spoken word, soundscape, spoken word stuff, music, essays, all kinds of things. Oh, and the podcast, of course, self-portraits as other people. Check it out wherever pods are cast. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michelangelo, for Thank being here. Thank you, man. Real pleasure.